This is Who Kicked the Corner Flag. Pogba steals the ball off Guerrero. Here's Giroud. A deflection and Mbappe. Ronaldo with the shot. Oh, it's gone in. Cristiano Ronaldo gets Portugal's second goal of the night. Here's Jurgensen to Eriksen. And Denmark take the lead. And here's your host, James Rose. Hello and welcome to our second World Cup off-season special. We are delighted to be joined once again by the man who now claims French citizenship, who's still bitter that Welbeck hardly played for England, and who's secretly becoming a Fulham fan? Intriguing. It's Boyce Richardson. How are you, bud? You know, I'm pretty great. England could have used one of those Welbeck off the old shin or shoulder or <laughs> midsection anywhere but his foot goals in the uh, semifinals there, I think. We might talk about that later. Who knows? Uh, now, Gerald, unfortunately, cannot join us for today's episode as he's expecting his first child any day now. Very exciting. Uh, so we, of course, wish the Bustamentes our best wishes for their new arrival. But we are joined by a returning guest. He's the man who's still brimming with delight over the successful Man City campaign, who claimed Belgian allegiance in this World Cup thanks to Vincent Company, most likely, and who comes to us today from about 1,192 miles. Yep, I googled it. We're delighted to welcome back <laughs> Mr. Tim Crean. How are you, bud? I'm doing well, but I'm still drowning my sorrows here in Belgian beer and waffles. So. Oh, man. Too, uh, <laughs> too fitting, perhaps. Too fitting. But hey, you got third place, so that's... Uh... Not Perhaps bad. Consolation, who knows? Uh, so we're going to change things up a bit for this second episode. Uh, we're going to kick off talking about the final four teams of the World Cup, their respective successes and failures. Uh, we'll then transition to a quick World Cup contest to round off the tournament before having a discussion on the upcoming Premier League season. Very exciting. It's only less than four weeks away now. Um, so let's start off with the winners, France. First time since 1998 that they've taken home the big prize. Back then, winning it on home soil. Uh, Boyce, congratulations. I'll say it now. I'll get it over and done with uh congratulations on the sweepstakes win picking them right off the bat uh the money is yours so boys question to you are they worthy winners i think without question france were the best team in this entire tournament they demonstrated it throughout i think there's definitely an argument for the early stages of the, the tournament that deschamps had them in a very conservative formation and in a very conservative position uh it was sort of frustrating to watch france be almost like a Jose Mourinho coached team in the World Cup for the group <laughs> stages. And that, you know, it's weird that in one of the best World Cups in recent memory, it's going to go down as France versus Denmark being the only nil-nil draw of the entire tournament. But <laughs> in the end, just, you know, a, a France team that decided that Alexandre Lacazette and Anthony Martial weren't even necessary steamrolled their way through the tournament. I, you know, it was a situation even when Croatia equalized early on in the match today, I don't think anybody really believed that they had a shot at winning. Uh, the France team, too too powerful, too many incredible players, and it, it's weird to see a team that I root for be the bearers of good fortune. But uh, <laughs> it was definitely interesting to see the France team today. I mean, everything broke for them. A team that needed no breaks, a team that needed absolutely no help in winning this tournament got every break that it needed uh i thought that the penalties today was 100 percent correct which is odd for this tournament because i think var has actually awarded a host of penalties that i don't necessarily know were actually penalties mm -hmm. uh, but I, I i think france were were good for value i, I never really felt worried about it and, and i think 
especially when you consider the medal of the teams that France went through in order to be able to win this World Cup when you're talking about victories over Argentina, Uruguay, Belgium, and a Croatia team that was outmatched on the day but fought tooth and nail throughout this entire tournament to be able to get to the, the finals and, and a very worthy a worthy team to be in the finals. But in the end, I, I think that the results ended up exactly where everyone thought they were going to be. And the scary thing is Olivier Giroud, linchpin of the, uh, <laughs> the French attack, set-up man, holder extraordinaire, uh, will not be with the team in 2022. You're looking at a situation where the bulk of this France team is young. I, I think the expectation almost has to be going into the 2022 World Cup that they're going to win it again. Mm-hmm. Mbappe yeah. is everything advertised Griezmann will still be around you're talking about just an incredible amount of talent that uh should go on to create almost a generational dynasty mm-hmm. I, I agree with that uh Tim who do you think gave them the biggest test out of all the teams they played I, you know I, I really think Croatia actually gave them the biggest test uh they, they scored two goals on them they pushed them the entire time but uh in the end, really, France was just too strong, mm-hmm. and kind of to you know echo what uh, what Boy said here, they they just had so much talent. And what I thought was interesting about uh, this kind of tournament, this final especially, is that throughout the tournament, I've kind of come to realize about international football. Is there's been a lot of arguments on social media and elsewhere that you know whether it's tactics or system or talent, and it really does seem like pure talent and you talked about uh Deschamps playing a a bit of a um defensive system comparing him to Mourinho which uh you know I think uh <laughs> is, is an apt comparison for how they played sometimes but that was the way that they were going to kind of get the most out of their talent and utilize the best players that they have and you look at some of the other teams and if, if you try to get cute and you try to kind of uh you know fit uh your system to the guys you have or the, you know play how you think uh have, have guys play the way you think that they should play for you you're gonna get in trouble and if so if you think that uh you know Leroy Sane doesn't fit into your system and you leave him home that's gonna be a problem and yeah. if you think that Aguero and Dybala can't play with Messi two of the best players in the world then that's gonna be a problem and we saw that mm-hmm. and the fact that France and Deschamps played Griezmann and Giroud and Bobby together and we're able to, you know, play defensively with uh, Conte and, and Metuidi and get the defensive effort out of Pogba. I mean, just getting that talent on the field was half the battle, and it sounds easy enough, but so many teams in this tournament weren't able to do it, and I think uh, that's where France really shined. Mm-hmm. That, I, that I agree with, and I think Boyce is right, too, in saying that they are, they're going to be the tough ones to beat moving forward, maybe even in the Euros. Uh, I guess time will tell. <laughs> Let's transition on to uh, Belgium next as our as our second team to talk about. Tim, I, th- I think you've got a, a fair bit to say about Belgium, so let me just give you the lead off here. What do you think was the biggest takeaway from their performances overall? You know, I think the biggest takeaway is kind of they are who they who we thought they were. Uh, to steal a phrase from uh, Denny Green in the NFL here, uh, they were supremely talented. Um, they they played well together. They did enough to overcome their coaching foibles. And, and you know, you talk about uh, the tactics and stuff that, that kind of slowed a team down. Martinez was actually able to get most of his talent on the field, but uh, he played them in a way, at least in the beginning of the tournament, where they were playing too defensively. And then when he was able to kind of uh, free up Kevin De Bruyne to move forward, I think they, that made all the difference. And it made, it let, allowed them to make this run to the semifinals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my big takeaway from Belgium as a whole is that, 
I, I kind of put – listen, they came up against an amazing French team. And, you know, who would have thought that, uh, you know, that, that win over England would kind of determine whether they made the finals or not because I really think they would have taken it to Croatia mm-hmm. and made the finals. But they were – when I, I did a preview for the um, Tactics FC World Cup of Podcasts for Belgium specifically – and what I said is, you know, they have kind of three generations on that team. They have their golden generation, which everyone talks about, and that's your companies and Eldevereld and uh, Vertonghen and Axel Witzel, Fellaini, all those guys. And they have the younger ones, who's who's pretty promising with Carrasco and and Yuri Tielmans and guys like that. But they were really going to be carried by kind of that middle grouping of their superstar generation, and that's uh, Cotois on the back, uh, Kevin De Bruyne, Lukaku, and Hazard. Mm-hmm. And I think that. You saw that through these games, the games that they played well. Uh, most of those guys played really good. And, and I think that it comes down to the fact that Eden Hazard didn't really step up and carry the team when they were calling for it. Mm-hmm. Um, in France, you know, against the, against the French team, Kevin De Bruyne was all over the field just getting harassed uh, by Conte the whole time. You know, and, and he still had a good game. He had a bunch of shots that people talk about being, you know, being kind of uh, over the net and wide and things like that. But he was trying to create space for himself and other people and make things happen. And it was it was Eden Hazard who I thought didn't step up. And, you know, I, I think that Eden Hazard is a very overrated player, which is not to say not a good player, but very <laughs> overrated. And he's a good player. I don't want to get me wrong. I'm yeah. not saying he's trash. But, you know, the way people talk about him in that upper echelon, of uh of of players i don't think he's there and we're gonna see i mean we talked about it briefly uh before the podcast started but if uh everything is true and he is going to real madrid to basically replace cristiano ronaldo i think we're really gonna see uh if he can step up and take that that leap to be uh, uh you know one of the top players in all the world and i personally don't think he's gonna do it but uh hopefully for uh for them and for belgium uh he can he can make that leap yeah see if he can take that mantle um boys uh, with this with this belgium team um do you see them potentially winning it in the next time round do you, do you still think they're going to fall a little bit short what do you think on what do you think on that I honestly think as far as Belgium's concerned, this was their year. Uh, I think you look at the Belgium lineup and the distinction that you have between it and the French lineup, I think pound for pound right now, they're very equal in terms of their capability of winning. But I think as you move on and you progress in four years, the Belgium lineup's going to age. And I don't think that the France lineup has the same perils in terms of the players that you might lose and just the fatigue that's going to endure over the course of time. I, I, you still have to, you know, the reality of the situation is the fact that Belgium started Fellaini. Um, that's true. Any, any team that starts Marilyn Fellaini has an issue that's readily apparent. Uh, to Tim's point, as far as Eden Hazard goes, I think the danger there is as a coach, do you want him? He's one of the, I think he is an upper echelon player, but he's also the black widow when it comes to coaches. It's a situation where, when he decides that he doesn't want you to coach the team anymore, he just quits. Mm. Uh, it's, it's a weird tournament for Belgium because they ended up playing England twice, and in both matches, England didn't really show up. Uh, so, <laughs> Oh, we'll get to them. <laughs> Hold tight. <laughs> it was strange as far as that goes. If I'm a Belgium fan, I'm a little bit worried because I think that Hazard in four more years, probably not going to be the same player. Uh, you're in a situation where I think Lukaku will still be as good as he is right now, but De Bruyne will have four more years on him, and their whole team just gets older. They just don't have the players waiting in the wings that France has. It's not like Belgium left behind Martial and Lacazette. You get into the deep recesses of the Belgium lineup, and there's just not the strength there that there is for other teams. Belgium are probably going to be in a position that's more similar to 
say, Spain, where they had a great year. Uh, they have incredible talent in the starting 11. But as that talent starts to age, I think there are legitimate concerns about whether or not that team can keep up the performances in the next four years. Uh, let's quickly move on to our third team, which I'm going to pick as Croatia. Uh, this, of course, for them was their first World Cup final appearance, and they were considered, of course, the strong underdogs, sadly falling away. Um, play an extra 90 minutes of football during the knockout stages, which is an equivalent to a whole game. Boyce, wh- where did they fall short overall? I mean, obviously coming this far, but not make- quite making it. Um, what were their biggest downfalls, I guess? I think with Croatia, you have to look at it from the perspective of the bracket. Uh, with respect to the shortfalls, I mean, they have one of the best midfields in the entire tournament, but that doesn't necessarily translate to either the back line or the front line. I'd like to see what Dejan Lovren has to say post-match today. <laughs> yeah. He was declaring himself the honorary Nicholas Bentner, greatest defender in the world <laughs> after the semifinal performance. I think, and we'll talk about England here in a second, but I think Croatia also were beneficiaries of a very soft bracket. They played two extra time matches against subpar competition, and then they closed out a somewhat suspect England team in extra time. Everybody is defined by where they were in the bracket. This was the most NCAA tournament-esque World Cup that I can remember, where (laughs) seeding mattered more in this tournament, I think, than it ever had before. And it's a situation where... The team that could have been seeded anywhere won the tournament. But some of the other teams, perhaps not on the left side of the bracket, but definitely on the right-hand side of the bracket, I don't think that England or Croatia show up in the semifinal if this tournament ends up seeded as expected. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. if, if certain teams don't underperform in the group stages, I don't think either of those teams gets near the semifinal Irrespective of the fact that Croatia has one of the best World Cup midfields that I can remember, but a player like Mandusic is it's serviceable. He's a good player. He's a good striker, but he's not a person that's going to win you a World Cup. And I think that that was true of everybody else on the Croatian front line. They dominated when it was necessary against England with their midfield simply because England didn't have a midfield. When you have Jordan Henderson in your midfield, you don't have a midfield. <laughs> It's basically... An like illusion. I said, we'll get there. <laughs> it's an illusion heaped on top of a hallucination. That's where Croatia dominated. Mm. And when they decided that they wanted to play against an English team that just wasn't quite as good as them, they got through. But today, to steal parlance from my beloved Tottenham Hotspur, they put the pressure on, but uh, they didn't actually do anything. Mm. The unfortunate thing for Croatia, the unfortunate reality of being a country of only 4 million people is that when the generation passes and ages out of the team, you don't, I mean, you can't replace Luka Modric mm-hmm. in Croatia. It might be another generation before Croatia ends up back in the same, the similar circumstance, but you have to give them credit where credit's due for the fact that a country of 4 million people made a World Cup final. And there's an insane amount of pride in that, mm-hmm. given the fact that as, a, as an American, I probably give a, a, a kidney in order to be able to end up in the World Cup <laughs> final, even to get drubbed 4-2 by France. So, um, you know, let me, let me get... more than 4 million people, so we should be able to uh, <laughs> get something going here. Slightly you would more. think. Slightly more. Uh, Tim, uh, give, us, give us your opinion on this Croatian team and perhaps uh, where they were, you know, a, a pretty dominant team, where they did have some good, uh, some good strength in their squad. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you asked the boys the question, where you know, where do they fall down? And I would say not at all. This team overachieved and really kind of uh, made a run that's going to go down, I'm sure, in the history of their country and the history of a World Cup is one of the uh, bigger underdogs to make it. I thought that I, I actually went in my, you know, my podcast, uh, I had a World Cup preview and I actually picked Croatia to be kind of my dark horse and make it to the semifinals. Oh, and nice. the fact, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the fact that some things fell the way they did, they were able to make it to the finals. And I mean, it was just a team that, uh, that again, got the best out of the talent they had. That midfield was so deep, they weren't even able to get a guy like Kovacic on the field, who's you know a Real Madrid player, a Man City target. He's a really talented guy, and that midfield was barely sniff the pitch uh, for most of these games. And, and again, I, I think that in matches like this, in, in tournaments like this, when you have, um, you know, you, you don't scheme, you don't have to, uh, again, work within a defensive system as much. You saw this, and this is a bad year to make this comparison, but in the past, Otamendi's been really good for uh, Argentina, although he drives me crazy for Manchester City because he can't kind of, you know, <laughs> stick to his responsibility. And Japan. you saw the same. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like defend <laughs> players, things like that, crazy stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, and so Dejan Lover, and again, a guy who is naturally very talented but has uh, momentary or, or full games of just complete mental lapses. Uh, I thought that he was able to hold it together for uh, for a really long time. And then, you know, all uh, all Manchester City fans will know uh, the goalkeeper Subasic from the uh, the Monaco team that knocked uh, Man City out of the out of the Champions League two years ago. And he was just phenomenal. I mean, from the the penalty stops against Denmark to pulling his quad and staying in and then going into a shootout. I mean, he was I thought he was amazing throughout. So they really had everyone play up to their potential or, or even higher. So it was great to see. Well, let's do it now, then. Let's transition on to, uh, you know, saving the best to last, obviously. Uh, that's a joke. England, <laughs> officially fourth place from this World Cup. Uh, let me start with you, Tim, because uh, I know Boyce is going to tear England a new one. This, for England, obviously, was the first time they reached the semi since 1990. What can you take away from this England squad? Well, you know, I will, uh, I will let boys go to town on their midfield because obviously I think that he has <laughs> things to say about that and the fact that really isn't much of a midfield uh, in, in there, uh, in my estimation, for, for England. So that's one thing. So I'm going to take this time to kind of, uh, you know, say some good stuff and stick up for my boys here. Um, nice. I thought, I'm ready for I it. Thought, <laughs> yeah, I thought John Stones first was phenomenal. Um, I thought he was one of the, if not the best defender in the tournament, and I'm sure MTD and some guys like that have something to say about it. But both um, on the defensive and offensive end and moving the ball around, he was just amazing. I've said it you know, for a long time now. When he is healthy and fit and playing well, he is a top-class defender. Now, he's been a little injury-prone, so the number of minutes he played in this tournament worries me. But all in all, I thought Stones was, uh, was one of the best players on England. Walker, who was playing out of position, did a really good job playing out of position. I was really worried about him. He is known, again, for some real mental lapses uh, on the defensive end specifically. And so the fact that he was able to focus up and and play, uh, you know, in that three man back line was was really impressive to me and kind of, uh, you know, tamped down his uh, attacking instinct was very good. And then finally, Sterling, who needs the most sticking up for here, uh, it really it really is just a shame what the English press does to him and the articles they write on a regular, you know, year, uh, they, they write some really horrific things, but in the build up to the world cup, it was 10 times worse. Mm -hmm. And I thought he played well. He did some sterling things, which is missed, missed some chances. A couple of those chances he was actually off sides for, and he still got killed for it. But 
you know, he, he does really good things. He is really, really dangerous for that England team uh, connecting from this midfield that has trouble holding onto the ball and moving it uh, into dangerous positions. He can connect that midfield to Harry Kane and uh, his speed really pushes the defense back. So the midfielders have more room to operate. And, you know, on, on Manchester City, the reason Sterling scores so many goals is, you know, Pep really thinks that goal scoring isn't a matter of kind of natural finishing ability, but it's a combination of creating opportunities and confidence. And Pep is, is you know, Pep knows that he can create opportunities through his system. And then he, all he does is build Sterling up and give him confidence. And in the England context, Sterling is a guy who has to create for others. So he doesn't get to spend as much time being created for. And then the confidence is just, uh, you know, at a low when he plays for the national team because he's beaten on so bad by the fans and media. So it's bad to see. And I'm, I'm very happy he's coming back to Manchester City to give him a, give him a big hug. <laughs> give him a big hug. I like that. All right, boys, let's turn it to you. Um, England's downfalls. Take it away. First, first I'm at least going to agree with Tim on the fact that I thought that England's back line was almost universally excellent throughout. Yeah, Maguire too. Sure. Uh, Maguire, yeah, uh, Stones, even Kyle Walker got beat on the Mendusic goal, but I, you know, I'll give him general credit for being serviceable. Uh, I, I think the reality here is, as I, as I alluded to earlier, England has no midfield. I'm not going to get on here as an Arsenal homer, or I guess a West Ham homer at this point, and say that Jack Wilshere <laughs> should have been included in the lineup. But good God, anyone who can do any midfield creation would have been nice <laughs> for this England team. You know, Tim brought up Raheem Sterling, who I 1,000% agree has suffered for really odd reasons within the British media that I don't understand. He's a great player. He had a one-on-one that he blew, but other than that. He had a really good tournament, I think. He created, when when England took him off against Croatia, they looked just bereft of anything. And I, I think you almost certainly have to take that into consideration for the rest of the tournament. And the reality for Raheem Sterling is the fact that when you have Kevin De Bruyne creating opportunities for you, it's a little easier to score than when you have Jordan Henderson in your midfield. You know, you're just focused on receiving the ball and hoping that it goes to your feet wherever it is that you may be and not out of touch. Unless England figures it out, they're not going to get anywhere. This England team, more so than any other team in the tournament, benefited from some crazy haphazard seeding and the fact that when they played Belgium in the last match, they were playing hot potato with an attempt to just not score a goal. <laughs> I, I think when Adnan Yanazai scored that goal, the whole British bench basically erupted in silent praise. It's just a situation where... I, I did too. <laughs> the look on Yanazai's face was priceless. He's like, yeah, oh, he's what like, did I do? God damn it. Uh, <laughs> if, if England moves to the left side of the bracket, you know, they get by Japan probably, but they, they never get out of the quarters. You know, they get drilled by Brazil... Yeah, Gareth Southgate deserves all the praise in the world for creating a system by which England flourished during set pieces. And he should definitely receive, take, and be adulated for that. But other than that, what did England do? They weren't dangerous at all in possession. Harry Kane is going to win the golden boot for this tournament by scoring three penalty kicks, caroming a ball off the back of his heel that he didn't (laughs) even know was coming, and two tap-ins. But so in the, true. <laughs> but he beat up, you know, England beat up on Tunisia and Panama and got Harry Kane the golden boot. But where was he in the ra- post round of 16 when it mattered? Right. It was very a situation point. Where yeah. He vanished and Ali vanished the best Spurs player for England, Kieran Trippier, scoring a beautiful goal against Croatia. And 
you had to think when they scored that goal, given the way that England had defended, that potentially they would be able to see it out. But when you have no midfield, it's difficult to see a match out. You can't play prevent defense when you have Jordan Henderson in your midfield and the other team has Luka Modric and, you know, Rakitic. In the end, England got tired. I felt as though I was one of the first people to make the joke about it being very spursy to give up a 1-0 lead in the semifinals <laughs> and go out. But despite my overwhelming creativity in making the joke that absolutely every Arsenal fan made unilaterally at the same time, you watched the belief bleed out of them almost instantaneously when Croatia scored the equalizer. Well, sadly, not quite coming home for England this time round, but... Uh... Who knows? We might get another easy bracket next time round in Qatar in the winter time. Who knows? We'll see. In uh, September. I, we're not, I know that we have other <laughs> topics to discuss, but I'm going to throw one last lob in here. <laughs> where the 2018 World Cup was one of the best World Cups that I can remember throughout the, my entire existence. And yep. here, the here. fact yep. that FIFA is destroying it by playing it in the middle of November in a country that used slave labor in order to be able to build its stadiums and then is following it up by somehow allowing six CONCACAF teams into the 2026 World Cup when outside of Mexico they just got blasted this tournament is absolutely ridiculous. The idea that we're going to get you the U.S., Canada, Mexico, Honduras, Panama – and Jamaica in the 2026 World Cup. I mean, come on. That's just, you're just destroying the brand. FIFA has absolutely no idea what it's doing. The only thing it knows how to do is take a bribe. Right, let's move on swiftly to our next round. Uh, we're going to play a little uh, World Cup conclusion game, if you like. Uh, we like to call it Nation Profile. Same kind of thing that we did last time. I'll be reading five different clues to a national team. Each clue is easier than the last. This time around, the category, I'm going to give you guys a category for this team, is Knockout Contenders. Knockout Contenders. So that chops it down, of course, to 16 teams. Uh, you guys ready? Yeah. Why Just don't give me France again, because obviously <laughs> I know nothing about them. They're all France, but clues you don't know. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. All right. The, this first team is located in South America. Currently ranked 16th by FIFA. Uh, boys. Yes, boys. Uruguay. It is not Uruguay, no, and that does freeze you out. So, Tim, these remaining clues are for you. Uh, currently managed by Jose Peckerman. Players, <laughs> players include James Rodriguez and Davison Sanchez. And Colombia. Colombia, there it is. Yes, nice work on that okay, Yeah, don't know their manager, apparently, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah Although that made people... me giggle because I'm five years old. <laughs> uh, the last clue on this one was eliminated in a penalty shootout against England. Had to throw that clue in there. Why not? Uh, team number two, also located in South Africa, scored eight goals. Wait, wait, hold on. Oh. Also located in South Africa, there's only uh, one team. Yep, you're right. Located That's, in South Africa. I'll give you a point for noting my correction. <laughs> also, lo- also <laughs> located in South America. There we go. Got it right. Uh, scored eight goals during their overall World Cup campaign. Took first place in their group. Tim Boyce. Yes, Tim. Uruguay for that one. It is not Uruguay for that oh, one. No. Oh. That does I was going to ask Uruguay anyway, but I <laughs> didn't get in. So, all right, let's do this. All right, Boyce, your other clues are lost to Belgium in the quarterfinals and current players include Paulinho, Roberto Firmino, and Neymar Jr. Uh, let me pick myself up off of the ground and... Uh, <laughs> 
Go with you've Brazil. rolled a few times, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I've rolled a few times. Yes, Brazil. <laughs> Brazil, yes, that is correct. I'll get you those two points. Nice work on that one. Uh, it's funny now that, that everyone seems to make fun of that Neymar, you know, excessive Hello? rolling. All these school kids. I mean, you see these videos now online of them all doing it. It's like, what a... What a bad way of setting a, you know, being a role model. You know what I mean? It's just, oh, God. Anyway. I'm going to start doing the Griezmann soon now after uh, today. Oh, God. That's another, the Fortnite L or whatever it's called, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Anyway, uh, that's going to start trends. Uh, Let's swiftly move on. Griezmann's having himself a year already anyway. He's not exactly (laughs) managed to keep himself out of trouble. (laughs) That's true. All right. Team number three won all three games of their group stage matches. They are known as La Celeste. Boyce. Yes, Boyce. This one is actually Uruguay. It is actually Uruguay, <laughs> yes. I was so glad to read this one out. And oh, finally, right. There it is. Uh, the other clues, in case you're interested, scored five goals in a single World Cup game. Were knocked out of the World Cup by France. And players include Luis Suarez and Edison Cavani. There we go. Uh, team number four is ranked 61st by FIFA. They scored six goals in their overall World Cup campaign, which is their highest ever tally. They almost upset Belgium by leading 2-0 at one point. Tim, boys. Yes, Tim. Japan. Japan. There it is. Nice work on that one. Yes, that will get you those points. Uh, The other clues were current players include Oshida and Kagawa and the only Asian team to make the knockout stage. So there we go. Good for Japan. Uh, KCK Honda forever. Casey, Casey Kanda. Uh, last team then of this little quiz, uh, team number five, is a European team. They surprisingly conceded six goals in their World Cup campaign, uh, which is their second highest ever. Uh, currently ranked 10th by FIFA. Was stunned by Russia in a penalty shootout. Boyce. Yes, Boyce. Spain. Spain. <laughs> you had to think about that. Yes, mm. it is Spain. That is correct. That'll get you those two points. And the other players include, of course, David Silva, Diego Costa, and David De Gea, who to me seemed to have kind of a rough tournament. Um, you know, he was, was awful. Yeah. Yeah, he kind of... Uh... I was shocked. Oh, I and I didn't really reference this earlier, but one last final shot at Belgium. <laughs> Eden Hazard and Thibaut Courtois just need to shut up. <laughs> they got outclassed by France. They got beat. <laughs> Shut your mouth. Like, it's the the golden glove, so, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Other than Neymar rolling around on the ground, Belgium's post-match performance after France, and Eden Hazard somehow saying that he would never want to play for France, was the most ridiculous part of this entire World Cup. Uh, They were absurd, and if it wasn't for uh, De Bruyne with a touch of class there, saying that uh, at Man City he always sees 90% defensive teams, so he's okay with it. I thought was uh, a nice little uh, semi-dig as well. Well, at the end of that fun little quiz, uh, Boyce, you have come away with a win with a exciting seven points, the bonus point for fixing my correction. Uh, Tim, you came away with five, so unlucky on that one. But hey, what a great way to round up the World Cup with a little bit more trivia. We love it. Good time. <laughs> Guys, let's talk about, uh, real quickly before we wrap up, we're less than four weeks away from the Premier League return. Incredibly excited for it. Um, it seems like only yesterday that it was ending, but I already miss it. Tim, let me ask you about Man City. Do you think they can mount a comfortable defense of their title? 
On paper, it looks like they uh, haven't changed much. Everyone should pretty much only be getting better. But, you know, this is uh, the toughest league in the world they're about to embark on here. And uh, no one has repeated in over a decade in the Premier League. So the uh, the kind of statistics tell you that they won't. Um, I think they have a great chance with uh, with Pep at the head, with De Bruyne uh, at his peak. You know, some of these guys having really good World Cup performances, like Stone, who I mentioned, hopefully kind of solidifying that defense. Um, you add Riyad Mahrez to it, and then uh, you know, even though Jorginho would be would have been a perfect fit, uh, there was a bit of a saga around him coming over. Ended up at Chelsea, but that's okay. Uh, as I mentioned, there was they might have Kovacic coming in, uh, or or they can you know bring up some young guys. I, I think they have a real good chance, but um, it. it if you look at the history, it says uh, they're going to have trouble. So I'm really going through racking my brain, figuring out who's going to uh, to kind of step up. And uh, you know, with new coaches at Chelsea and at Arsenal, I, I think you're going to give them a year to kind of get up to speed. So I'm I'm really thinking that United and uh, Tottenham are going to be the ones to give City a run this year. So I think that's going to be really interesting. Tottenham, I like I like hearing that. Uh, boys probably won't know, but anyway, boys. Uh, <laughs> Arsenal have five new signings since I last checked. Maybe they've got ten now. Who knows? Uh, they've been <laughs> cranking them out. Um, so with this new team uh, and, of course, their new manager, um, obviously nothing but excitement. But where do you see them? Uh, where do you see them this year? In all honesty, I, I think top four was the goal. It's the goal that Arsenal have had through their offseason for Kuriman. If you look at a lot of the signings, four out of the five, you, you look at players like Licksteiner, Socrates. Those kind of players are players that are built into a lineup from a positional standpoint to be able to shore it up and get them into a position where they can fight for for fourth place. I mean, it's a situation where you look at a player like Lucas Torreira, who I think demonstrated quite ably his skill set during the World Cup for Uruguay. I think he's a key piece in a position that Arsenal have been sorely lacking maybe since the days of Vieira. There's a chance that they finish top four. With Arsenal and Chelsea, is a little bit different primarily just because Chelsea wantonly fired their manager in like a 72-word statement a month before the season started. <laughs> and Emery has been entrenched at the Emirates and involved in the transfer dealings over the course of the summer. I think there's a little bit of a better ability for Arsenal to to come ahead, I think, of Chelsea this year, especially given the fact that it looks like with Hazard's comments post-World Cup that he's probably leaving Chelsea. I will disagree with Tim to a certain extent. I actually think that Liverpool is the team that's probably best equipped in order to be able to combat City this year, although City won the league by almost 20 points. If I remember correctly last year, I don't think that the margin is going to be quite that big. But I certainly think it's probably still going to be double digits by the time the year's over with. I just think that there's too much talent on that team. There's too much depth. A, a team that can just go out and buy Riyad Mahrez, who would have no business in this the starting eleven for City during their regular EPL campaign, but they can go drop sixty million pounds on him just because they want to. Uh, that's a pretty great player to have coming off of the bench or playing in low level Champions League matches or you know, FA Cup matches, League Cup matches, however you may see it. I just don't, I don't see anybody getting close to City this year. You're looking at a situation where Liverpool have improved in the offseason. United brought in Fred, but I'm not really sure that that makes them any better than they were, uh, especially if De Gea trends the same way that he did during the World Cup, which I certainly <laughs> hope for. Uh, Chelsea are imploding, and Tottenham haven't done anything. And stagnancy, I think, is 
always a danger when it comes to the Premier League simply because there is so much talent. You know, I mean, Liverpool got Shakiri after all, from Stoke City. <laughs> when you're incorporating Stoke players, you're always in trouble. But, uh, <laughs> and you can't look at that Tottenham lineup from 17-18 and say that nothing needs to be done. Obviously, something needs to be done in order to be able to improve them. I feel and- like something probably will, though. I think it's usually down to the last minute with Levy and transfer deadline day. But, I mean, you never know. It's it's. And just- I will say, I will, give, I will give Levy all the credit in the world. He gets value for his players. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But as of right now, you're looking at a situation where Fulham have done more off-season transfer business than Tottenham. Spurs need something. Yeah. They need yeah, a legitimate and- backup striker. They need something. And they haven't done anything. And the problem with the World Cup is the fact that it sort of impinges upon the transfer deadline, especially when... The transfer deadline is a little bit more condensed mm-hmm. this year than it has been in prior seasons because it ends before the first match. That's very true. What were you going to say, Tim? Yeah, just I was actually about to say what uh, what boys started to say is that just that's the craziness of the World Cup year is that this is going to be this next twenty you know twenty six twenty eight days whatever it is until the kickoff of the Premier League season. I mean, you look at one move like if Eden Hazard goes to Real Madrid, just the absolute domino effect that's going to have across world football in general and in such a condensed period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the World Cup is, is a great distraction. And again, this year, I totally agree. It was one of the most exciting, dramatic, fun World Cups to watch in my memory. But uh, the, the, the I'm happy to have club football back. And the fact that this transfer situation is going to go crazy in the next month is really awesome. Mm, that, that I agree with. It's going to be uh, almost down to the wire stuff as per usual. Uh, guys, that's all we have time for. Um, big thanks to both you, Boyce and uh, Tim, for coming on today uh, for this second World Cup slash Premier League uh, edition. Um, for our listeners, don't forget to check out all our social media outlets at Kick Corner Flag on Twitter, uh, Facebook.com slash Kick Corner Flag and KickFlag.com online uh before we go a quick plug of our fantasy league competition that we are running this year uh it's now online via fantasy.premierleague.com uh instead of me reading out the code like a robot uh just go onto our social media pages copy the code build your team get it in there um it's going to be a great one open to anyone so tim go ahead and build the team as well for us bud um i'd I'd love to that'd be great yeah yeah throw it in there and uh hey they may even be prizes uh maybe to be decided um we will of course return for our second season kickoff at some point uh on the weekend of august the 10th when it all starts so do keep your eyes peeled um tim thanks again for, for joining us uh really great to have you on um any any final words from you no, just thank you guys for having me. I'm looking forward uh, to this season. Um, if you have not heard my podcast, but you listen to Who Kicked the Corner Flag, I think uh, you'd like uh, what I do as well for Man City. It is a Citizen Abroad podcast. You can find it on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, all the places. Uh, get at me on Twitter if uh, you want to talk Man City. It's at Citizen Podcast, C-I-T-Y-Z-E-N Podcast. And the email is uh, Citizen Abroad, spelled the same way, at gmail.com. Good stuff, man. Uh, we'll for sure listen in. Um, so keep your eyes peeled for that. And until then, have a great week.